Welcome to Everything Scary. My name is Lynn, and I'm here with my sister Haley. My interests consist of everything true crime, but Haley, not so much. She signed on here to be with me and let me hurl true crime facts at her. And every week, my goal is for her not to walk out on me. I hope you like what you hear, and if so, please leave a five-star rating. And if you don't, thank you for your time. Here we go. Are we ready? I think so. Okay. So uh, today I'm going to be telling you about the largest kidnapping in American history. Okay. Um, it's the Chowchilla bus kidnapping. So my sources for this case are from one of my favorite podcasts, Morbid. I think I made you listen to them before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's an incredibly detailed podcast that's multi-parts. Uh, it's called Nightmare in Chowchilla. Stop looking at Harley. You're going to get in <laughs> trouble again. Uh, so this is a wild story. Uh, it honestly plays out like it was a movie, but it's uh, very real and very scary. It was July 15th, 1976 in Chowchilla, California. Chowchilla is a super small city, a big farming community. It now has a population of roughly about 19,000, but at the time, back in 1976, there was only 4,600. I don't typically like to do crimes that involve children, but I just want to say right out of the gate that nobody dies, but it's still a pretty wild tale. Uh, So as I said, it was July 15th. This was the second last day of what they called summer school. But uh, the way it's described, it sounds more like a summer camp as opposed to an actual, you failed, you got to go do a school thing. Okay. Uh, 3.45 was the end of the school day. 26 students loaded on bus number one driven by a cherished member of the community, school bus driver Ed Ray. Some of the kids were only dressed in their swimsuits and nothing more. Uh, They were coming home for the second last time this year from swimming and playing with friends. 14-year-old Michael Marshall was being forced to take the bus that fateful evening. Uh, Normally, his mom would pick him up from school, but Mike and a friend had been caught stealing beer from his mom's fridge, so she wanted to teach him a lesson, and she made him take the bus to and from school that day. And even still, he nearly missed it. Mike had a huge crush on one of the teacher's daughters, and it was nearing the end of school. Uh, She had taken the opportunity to start being extra flirty with him, causing him to get caught up in the moment and nearly miss a bus. He had to chase down Ed Ray and get him to stop in order to be able to get on the bus. And thank God he did. Uh, A funny fact that they mentioned in the Nightmare in Chowchilla podcast was that the only real reason Mike was even attending the school was because the principal told Mike's mom that if he attended the summer school, he would be able to skip the eighth grade and get him out of the principal's hair. (laughs) But again, it was a really good thing that Mike was there that afternoon. Ed set off on his way to drop off the tired children to their parents, and the first three stops went off without a hitch. But the trouble started when Ed made a left turn onto Avenue 21, which was a very narrow road that was surrounded by nothing but fields and the odd farm. I actually looked up the road just to give myself an idea um, of where they turned and it was, it's just surrounded by fields. There's a property for sale actually. And it's like $2 million, but it's all field. So it's just, it's for farming. Okay. Um, being okay. So that's when Ed Ray saw up ahead that there was a van that was stopped in the very middle of the road and it had its doors open being that the van was in the very center of the narrow road. It was forced, it forced Ed to stop the bus. Ed and the children assumed that the van had simply broken down, and being that there were very few cars that traveled down the road, Ed thought that maybe they required his help. 
Suddenly, a man whose face was covered by women's pantyhose came up to Ed's driver's side window. The man stuck a sawed-off shotgun in the window and told Ed to open up the door and to go to the back of the bus. Some of the kids were laughing, thinking it was an end-of-the-year prank that Ed was playing on them as he was known for joking around with the kids. The kids also thought that the men looked silly. Pantyhose covered their face while the leg parts drooped down around their face, making them look like bunnies. The man had made all the kids go to the back of the bus. The man wearing, then a man wearing a sombrero and carrying a pistol got onto, into the driver's seat. When the man with the sawed-off shotgun sat down in the front row and kept an eye on all of the children and Ed. Of the children on the bus, they ranged from ages 6 to 14. One of the youngest children was Larry Park. At the time, he was 6, and his older sister was on the bus as well. Her name was Andrea, and she was 8. The man who had originally pointed the gun at Ed Ray through the bus window was now following the bus in a white van. The men took the bus off-road and into a dried-up riverbank that was about a 6-foot drop from the road. I, I have no clue how the bus didn't just roll over. Yeah, it sounds sounds pretty dangerous. Like. Yeah, six feet is high. Yeah, definitely. And especially buses are 40 feet big. long. Yeah. So, yeah. They were well hidden amongst the bamboo. The bamboo was higher than the bus. And when they arrived, there was another green van there waiting for them. The kidnappers backed the first van up to the bus's doors and loaded half the kids into... It ensuring that they there was no gap between the bus and the van, and therefore there would be no footprints to be found. As soon as the first van was full, they repeated this, but with the second van, even separating siblings. Larry Park, the youngest of the kids, remembers looking into the barrel of the shotgun and bravely saying as a six-year-old, if you don't take me and my sister home, my dad is going to be like stink on a skunk with you. <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> cute eh? <laughs> that is cute once the kidnappers had transferred all of the children and ed into the two vans of one of which had both of their win oh sorry all of which had both of the windows blacked out now with all of the victims in the two vans the kidnappers drove them around for 11 hours in all different directions to di disorientate them of course the children would have had to relieve their, their little kids they had to go to the bathroom right you go pee pee you know so there was no seats or anything, and the kids were leaning on the walls, and uh, so they kind of deemed the middle of the bus the area where they had to go to the bathroom. Uh, so it says they cleared a so spot. So how long were they driving around? 11 for? hours. 11 hours. With six-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah, there's a I lot of I have a six-year-old. Yeah. And I can't drive her for longer than an hour yeah. without her having to use the bathroom. Little bladders, man. Little tiny bladders. Um, so the middle of the van was deemed the washroom area, uh, and in order to try to con contain the waste in one spot after driving around for 11 hours, the three kidnappers made the children and Ed climb down a ladder into a moving truck, like the, not a moving truck, but like, a the a moving trailer truck. of yeah. a moving truck that yeah. had been buried in the ground. I get you. Uh, and in anticipation of the kidnapping. So these guys had planned this. Apparently. Yes. Very. I, I can't imagine how long it would take to dig a hole. It's pretty strategic. So wait, was this like a rich kid school? Is that why they picked this bus? They weren't rich kids, no. The kidnappers were rich kids. Oh. Uh, okay. So we'll, go, we'll get into that. Yeah. But no, these were just, they, they thought more victims, more ransom. And so a school bus full of children, people would pay for. 
Fair enough. Uh huh. So the truck had been pre-stocked with a small amount of water and some Life brand cereal and honeycomb, uh, as well as a few mattresses and box springs, um, which will play a big role in the story. The opening in the top of the truck had been covered by plywood, and then on top of that was 200-pound bus batteries. Um, and if that wasn't enough, it had been then buried in dirt. Jeez. They were very literally buried alive. There were two pipes that led outside, and what that was what was giving them air oh, yeah. and oxygen. Uh, as the children were trapped and bored, one of the kids was simply gently kicking one of the support beams just to keep himself occupied, not trying to cause any damage, just a kid being a kid. But unfortunately, the beam gave way and ended up resulting in half of the trailer being crushed. Um, but nobody got hurt? Nobody got hurt, but it did take away one of their uh, valves that was giving oh. them oxygen. Um, it, it, so they got crushed by the earth above it, and taking with it was one of the ventilation pipes, which of course resulted in all of the children and Ed crowding into the other half of the truck trailer. Mike Marshall, the 14-year-old boy, knew that if they did nothing, they were going to suffocate and die down there. So he and Ed sprung into action and fought tirelessly to make the makeshift prison door that had been placed on top of them open. Finally, they were able to move the plywood, enough so that while Ed held it up, Mike was able to stick his arm through and try to push the bus batteries away. And it's these are he, this 200 pounds that Ed's holding up if he releases or lets go, this kid's losing his arm for sure. Yeah. And is it, is it like a bunch of bus batteries or is two. it two bus batteries? Yeah, so they're weighs each 200 pounds? 200. So 100 pounds each. And then there's plywood and then there's dirt on top of that, which is like half a foot. So they've been buried alive. And yeah. so Ed's holding it up with his arm and Mike sticks his arm out to try to push the bus batteries away. And. Ed must be in some pretty good shape if he's able to hold that up. Well, Mike was just, you know, he's, yeah, thank God he was pretty, there. Sounds pretty heroic. Yes. Um, so he tried to push the bus batteries away with little to no concern for himself, uh, as if Ed were to lose his gripping that, quote, the door would come crashing down and likely take Mike's arm clear off. But Mike, being the badass that he is, decided to dismantle one of the box springs so that he had a piece of wood that he could use to pry open the door while he tried to move the batteries. Smart. Seeing that he only had one real chance at getting to the batteries was by breaking apart the plywood. That's exactly what he decided to do. As Mike was growing tired of breaking off pieces of plywood and trying to move these 100-pound batteries off of the opening, he suddenly felt it shift, and all the kids started shouting, It moved! It moved! And that gave Mike that one last burst of energy that he was able to move the batteries. And he was able to move them enough to make an opening big enough for them to individually fit through. Nice. As he made the opening, dirt and sunlight came pouring through. Some of the children remembered a vacuum-type feeling um, of the stagnant air being pulled out and fresh air pouring in. Meanwhile, back at home, clearly the time for their children to arrive at home had come and gone. Parents are now in a full-blown frenzy. They had initially thought maybe Ed Ray had gotten a flat tire and was somewhere along the road and required assistance. 
But when Highway Patrol covered the entire route and could not find any trace of the bus, that is when things became understandably more intense. They set up shop at one of the local firehouses, and parents and police tried to organize and execute searches for the missing children and Ed. Some even believing that Ed himself may be involved, once a beloved pillar of the community had become a suspect. Now, one of the sergeants in Modera County, in sorry, one of the sergeants in the Modera County Sheriff's Department had his pilot license, but he did not have a plane. But as luck would have it, he was able to use a plane owned by someone in a different county to try and get an aerial point of view in order to try and find the missing bus of children. Well, they did not find the kids, but they were able to locate the abandoned bus in the bamboo field. When they inspected the bus, looking for answers, they were able to find that during the transfer, the green van had actually been backed up light and lightly grazed the bus, as the bus had, been, had green paint on it, and therefore it would be assumed that a green vehicle had been involved. And due to the tire tracks that they were, able, they were able to see, it was safe to say that there were two other vehicles besides the bus that were involved. The manhunt was on now. Local police departments, as well as the FBI, were all over the missing school bus full of children. Some media outlets were even suggesting UFOs were responsible. <laughs> But back at the bus, Ed Ray was free and Mike Marshall was inside, handing Ed the children one by one. And finally, last but absolutely not least, Mike hoisted himself out to safety. They were all free and felt the fresh air for the first time in nearly 16 hours. In the far off distance, they could see a small building and Ed, with all 26 kids in tow, made their way towards it. But wait, where are these kidnappers gone to? You will find out. Okay. (laughs) As they were walking, a man emerged and was yelling, I know who you are. I know who you are. Soon, another bus arrived to take the children to a local woman's jail to have them checked out and fed and nourished. But many of the children were understandably refusing to get on the bus. Obviously. A little traumatized. Yeah. Um until Mike comforted them and told them it was okay to get on and that they were safe. I also just wanted to stick this in here, but Mike remembers when they were being taken from the bus into the vans, he said there was not a square inch of him that did not have a tiny kid on him. He said that he was holding on to all the children and every time the kidnappers would take another kid, another little kid would just grip onto him. Wait, how old is Mike again? 14. That's adorable. Right? Way to go, Mike. Yeah. So uh, he said all the kids were just grabbing onto him in comfort. Um, I just had to throw that in there because of how heart-wrenching it was. Um, So at this women's prison, it was called Santa Rita Rehabilitation Center. They got the kids there and gave them burgers and fries and soda because these kids were absolutely filthy and changed them into... they, They only had women's, like adult women's prison gear. Mm-hmm. So all these little kids were wearing like little orange jumpers. This is kind of cute. Though. <laughs> uh, Larry Park, who remember was six, says he remembers random people trying to hold and comfort him. And he just kept saying that all he wanted was his mom. Aww. He said that he did not want to see anyone. He didn't want to talk to anyone. He only wanted his mom. These kids were then transferred back to Chachilla. So although the kidnappers had drove the kids around for 11 hours, they were actually only about 
an hour and 40 minutes away from their home. Wow. Yeah, they were in Livermore, California. So by 4 a.m. on July 17th, the children were back in the arms of their parents. So how long were they officially missing for? They went, well, their, their bus left, I think, on the 16th of July. They were gone for, I, I, I want to say, 27 hours. Okay. Yeah. Mike Marshall, who's the 14-year-old, uh, remembers being shocked to see his dad. His dad had been on a business trip to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, oh. but had rushed home when he heard of his son's kidnapping. Now his to our hero ki- son. Yeah, his awesome son. Uh, so now to our kidnappers. When news of the kidnapping hit the media, a woman who lived about 18 miles or 29 kilometers away from Chowchilla called in a tip. Three suspicious individuals had parked a van outside of her business a mere few hours before the kidnapping had occurred. She had found them to be acting so suspiciously that she had actually made a note of their license plate. Smart. Right? Good job. Um, so she made a note of their license plate that had been on the van. So the sheriffs called the DMV to get more information uh, on the owner of the vehicle, but there was no matches for that number. The woman had taken down the plate number, was 100% sure she hadn't gotten it wrong. So when they called back, it turned out that the plates in question had only been purchased a few days prior and had not been properly registered yet. Mm. The person who bought the plates had used a fake name, but as luck would have it, the guy who had sold the plates recognized the buyer as someone who had been in there before. And he was confident that he would be able to pull up the past records and find the buyer's real name. Nice. Uh-huh. Frederick Newhall Woods, 24 years old at the time of the kidnapping. A very well-off young man. His family owned cattle ranches and tons of land. At 24, he had his own home on his mom's beautiful 70-acre lot. Um, I don't know if you're aware of how big an acre is. But mom and dad have like lot. half of an acre. Yeah. So picture 78. Okay, yeah. It's a it's, lot. Yeah. It's big. Humongous. Yeah. Um, and his buddies, James, 24, and Richard, 22, were brothers. Their family name was Schoenfield, and they were also well-to-do. Their dad was a doctor, and they lived a very privileged life. But all three had made very bad financial decisions, uh, the Schoenfields had made some bad real estate deals, and what they all had in common was that they were too embarrassed to ask their parents for help to bail them out. <laughs> so they just kidnapped a bunch of kids They're instead. Like, way better option. They're Kidna- super independent, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> they had heard in 1974, two years prior to the kidnapping, then Governor of California, Ronald Reagan... Okay. Do you know who that is? I know who Ronald Reagan is. Okay, good. Uh, Had announced that California had had a $5 million surplus. Everyone asked you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, That year. So what these three three dingbats figured, and in their own words, said they wanted to do a kidnapping with multiple victims so that they could get multiple payouts. So these brainiacs thought so far ahead that they were able to dig out enough to bury a truck trailer in a quarry. This quarry, by the way, was owned by Fred Woods' dad. But after they had done all of the work, and they had these kids buried in the ground, 
they got home and tried calling the sheriff's office. And because of the families of the 26 children that were trying to get a hold of the sheriff's office, they couldn't get through. Okay. So they took a nap. <laughs> I mean, after all that digging and burying stuff, they must have been exhausted. So, I mean, it's understandable, you know? I think they did work hard for their money. They just did a really stupid thing to get it. <laughs> they just got sleepy at the wrong time is yeah. the problem. <laughs> yeah, they probably were up all night coming up with this The plan. thing is, like, there's, uh, to me, when I heard that, I was like, there's so, there's so many other places you could call. <laughs> There's so many other places you can but, go. But, you know, you got to nap through the whole if you crazy get- part. And then afterwards, you're like, hey, I just woke up from a nap. But I just wanted to let you know. I know where these kids are. But at the end of the day, they woke up and they learned that all these kids had... <laughs> <laughs> how, how long of a nap was this? Like, I mean... They all napped together in the same room? It's <laughs> the way it sounds. But... Could you just imagine like waking up and being like, oh, just like rubbing that was a great nap. That's a good nap. And then like you'd like turn on the news and it's <laughs> ah boy, oh, crap. <laughs> they these, escaped. Should have put face. three bus batteries on that box, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I have written. Uh, because this was 1976, the phone lines were all tied up. So instead of calling the media or literally anyone else, these three took a nap. When they, they must have really needed a nap. Sometimes, like, yeah, bus, a hundred pound bus battery. Yeah, you know what? And when I need a nap, it's like it's urgent. It's not something that you could be like, oh, I guess I'll nap later. No, you got to take a nap. You got to recoup. You know, your body's telling you it's time. I think though, if you're kidnapping twenty six kids, though, you should maybe have a cup of coffee. <laughs> I don't know. So, you know what? Oh my. You know what? Maybe they couldn't afford a cup of coffee. That's why they were kidnapping a bus full of kids. So You make such good points. I know. They only drink Starbucks, obviously. <laughs> They're so. rich kids. <laughs> uh, was Starbucks around in 1976? I don't know. I don't know either. I wasn't around then. <laughs> no one was. Except for these guys. <laughs> um, when they awoke, they saw on the news that Ed and the children had already freed themselves. How embarrassing. <laughs> you did so much. You know what? You, that's you, that's what you get for trying to kidnap Mike. <laughs> no, nobody kidnaps Mike. I'll tell you that right now. You know what? Mike is the name of a kid you wouldn't want to kidnap, I think. <laughs> he had to get out to see that teacher's daughter. <laughs> yeah, he was a man in love. <laughs> Try and stop him. I dare you. <laughs> Can't stand in the way of love. <laughs> uh, Jennifer and Jeff Brown were an important part of identifying the kidnappers. They were both kids that were kidnapped. Uh, Richard Schoenfeld, who was the youngest of the kidnappers, was the first to turn himself in uh, eight days after the children had escaped. James and Fred, however, had tried to make their way into Canada. Like, yes. Fred, no, (laughs) bye. Fred was actually able to clear the border and made it into Vancouver. Fred's the worst out of all. He's the ringleader for sure. I don't like the name Fred, so I believe it. Okay. Sorry to all you Freds out there, but <laughs> God, if this podcast ever makes it anywhere, you're just you just eliminated. I have so many enemies. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Well, James tried to come into Canada and was denied access three times because we're no dummies over here. Is what I wrote. But I mean, but remember that time Fred. that we accidentally crossed the border? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. 
We just made a wrong turn on the way to Denny's. Don't that's act all. like we did it. I did it. I tried to go to Denny's in Niagara Falls. All I wanted was a breakfast skillet. That's all I ever wanted. And we ended up getting into the line to go into the States. And then... They like really searched us because we didn't have our passports, obviously. Because we weren't we're planning idiots, to go to though. America. Like, I was like, they're like, what are you doing to come into America? I'm like, I don't want to come into America. I just want to go to Denny's, man. I just want to skillet. <laughs> but the the Americans, they like thoroughly s- s- checked your car out, looked through the trunk and stuff. And then we pulled around to the Canadian side and they're like, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> we're like, we're just trying to get back hey in. Hey there, you guys. <laughs> and they're like, all right, come on in. You know, like <laughs> uh, we got a free thing of maple syrup. <laughs> was, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it was so I could I, I could not believe you can't back out once you've gotten in there. No, no, there's you're got, stuck. You're going to America. We should have just gone to the American Denny's. Like there's well. gotta be better signs, I think. Like if nothing else comes from this podcast. We were using GPS too, no, weren't we? No, I wrote it all down. Oh, did you? Yeah. Like I guess t- this was kind of like more back in the day, right? I think you know what? It was after the time I tried to take us to Niagara Falls for the Rainforest Cafe. Did we go to Rainforest Cafe? We didn't. No. We, we ended up going thing. to um, a different mall, but it had a Rainforest Cafe. So we made it. That's all that matters. <laughs> At least we didn't accidentally go to America that time. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, anyways, I'm surprised these guys didn't just you know come and make a home okay, let's, let's we would have had a nap too if we did this exact crime it's <laughs> true ended up in america with a busload of kids they would have been like how what who are these kids we were just gonna give them some denny's and somehow one thing led to another and you know we're in america now <laughs> okay oh, okay God. back to the story um so Jennifer and Jeff Brown were the ki- two kids that were involved in this. They were very important. Um, Richard Schofield turned himself in. We got that. Brett and James came to tried to come to Canada. Uh, James didn't make it. So James eventually gave up and drove back and was arrested a few days later. While Fred was in British Columbia, he wrote a letter to a friend asking him for financial help. <laughs> but that friend, who was also no dummy like us, turn that letter over to the FBI. Oh, that's good. Yeah, smart yeah. dude. He, he didn't write back have, and recommend that they just kidnap he, a bunch of kids or something? He wouldn't have accidentally drove to America when they were just trying to get a <laughs> breakfast skillet. <laughs> uh, Woods was arrested within two weeks of that letter being received by the FBI. All three were charged with 43 counts of kidnapping and robbery. Evidence against these guys was overwhelming. They had lists, they had handwritten plans, they had x-ray machines so that they could x-ray the ransom money because they didn't trust the people that they were... So these guys are in financial debt, but they can afford an x-ray machine to make sure they're getting their... Haley, you need to have money to make money. Oh, I guess so. Jesus. They had it, now they're <laughs> needed to make it. I get it. <laughs> Uh, they even had security footage of all three men digging a hole in the quarry in 1976. <laughs> did how did security did they, cameras exist in 1976? I don't know, but like, when did they dig the hole? Because I feel like it was pretty close to the kidnapping, given how tired they were after. I don't know. 
Oh, you need to do a little more research next time. Jesus Christ. <laughs> because I just want to know why they were so tired at that point. It could have been the driving. And driving for 11, 11 hours. With kids? Yeah. Have yeah. you driven for, okay. You take my kids for one hour no. and drive around with them. You'll be <laughs> napping as you drive. <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this was very clearly premeditated. These three had even done a dry run. Uh, and the owner of the quarry, where they had all been buried alive, belonged to none other than Fred Woods' father. I said that, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Was so he, he proud? His dad? Yeah. I'm sure he thought his son was <laughs> fantastic. So where are they now? Oh, are you getting there? You're jumping ahead. I know. Sorry. I get excited. You need a breakfast skillet? What? Yeah. I need to go to America. <laughs> <laughs> Security had actually witnessed the trio digging the hole but decided not to press the issue because, after all, it was his father's property. Because the crime was so media-heavy, they had to move the trial to nearby Alameda. 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 I'm going to go with Alameda County, uh, where they would have a larger jury pool to pull from. All three pled guilty to 27 counts of kidnapping, uh, Jennifer Brown was able to testify in court because she had received bodily harm when she slipped and fell during the bus to van transfer. Another child had suffered kidney issues because not being able to use the facilities for hours had, <sighs> had injured her kidneys. Oh, yeah. sucks. Um, so for this, six children were able to testify. So every kid that sustained some sort of an injury was able to testify. Was that little, uh, the little Larry boy? Park? Yeah. No. Larry Park was in the document, or sorry, the podcast of uh, uh, Nightmare and Chowchella. And he thinks that Mike Marshall is Superman. He is. And, and th is. these guys are all like 40, 50 years old now. Yeah, yeah. And he's still like, when he met him face to face in the podcast, he was like, you were Superman to me. Like, yeah. you were amazing. Yeah. And he, he really was. But Mike was just like, I was just trying to do what I had to do. Like, he's <laughs> like, I need to get back to my girl, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so in 1978, all three men were convicted to life in prison without the possibility of parole. 180 miles or 290 kilometers from Chowchilla in California's men's colony in St. Louis Abysbo, the young men started their sentence. But... In 1981, their sentences were overturned. It was said that the men had not purposely inflicted any injuries and that any injuries that had been endured had been after they had kidnapped them. You know what I mean? Yeah, so but it they wouldn't have happened if they didn't get kidnapped. So well, they're, yes. they're responsible. Back in the 80s, no one cared about mental health trauma. So anything to do with you know, being upset about the case was hogwash. Uh, their sentences were then changed to life with the possibility of parole. They would be granted a parole hearing every 12 to 24 months. All the victims would have to come. Stop watching your dog, <laughs> Tristan. <laughs> All the victims would have to come and give their statements again and essentially be re-victimized all over again. <laughs> And the reason for all of this was because, by the grace of God, no one had been hurt or killed. 
I just want to put the little backstory in here. I bring my dog to these podcast recordings, and sometimes I get distracted by her. And my husband's the one that does the recording. So when we're talking to Tristan, that's my husband. He's in the back, um, just so that people are on the same page. And the, the dog's <laughs> licking my foot and my leg right now. She's wonderful. She is, she's absolutely the most beautiful, <laughs> precious angel. But she's. But just so you know, when we're talking about the dog, that's what's going on. It's a bunch. Of, I try to stay focused, but she's cute. She's cute. Okay. Uh, so back in the 80s, no one cared about mental health trauma. These sentences were then changed to life with the possibility of parole. Uh, they would be granted a parole hearing every 12 to 24 months. All the victims would have to come and give their statements again and essentially be re-victimized all over again. And the reason for all of this was because, by the grace of God, no one had been hurt or killed by this extremely reckless act that these men had committed. Physical injuries aside, sure, none of them had severe physical injuries, but these children had been buried alive, and the possibility of injury or death was very likely. So understandably, these kids, who are now adults, suffered terribly with mental health trauma. Larry Park, the little six-year-old, said he could never have his bed under a window because he could not shake the feeling that at any point someone could come reach in and take him out of his home. See, I kind of feel that way and nobody's even kidnapped me, so I get that. No. I'm I'm always outside of your window. <laughs> <laughs> you climb, eh? <laughs> As he grew older, he said he tried to end his life and it was always a thought that was in the back of his mind. He is also an author. He took his fear and anger and channeled it into his writing, writing his book called The Chowchilla Kidnapping, Why Me? When Mike Marshall, the 14-year-old, came home, he was not recognized as the hero that he was. The parents... Did he get the girl, though? Uh, you know what? They never touched on it again. But everybody felt, and like rightfully so, but everybody thought Ed Ray was the hero. And like Mike never got... No, Mike was Mike was 14, so he gets extra credit just because he was a kid, you know? Like You would think so. To Honest, step up and truly, do that. You would think so. And he I better think, I think he did more than Ed did, but yeah, he didn't really get He risked his deserved. arm, so. Um I mean Ed did hold up 200 pounds. I'm pretty impressed by that, but It's not bad. They're both they're both, you know, applaud both of them, but For I mean, sure. Mike was just a little little guy. <laughs> The parents all rightfully so praised Ed Ray as the savior in this kidnapping, and he was absolutely a very vital part in the escape, but no one gave Mike the true recognition that he deserved. Some might say even more than Ed did. Did that sentence make sense? I don't think so. No. But I'd have to hear it again to know for sure. But no one gave Mike the true recognition that he deserved. Some might say even more than Ed did. No, that doesn't make sense. For sure not. That's okay. We got the gist. Of nothing. We're, we're giving you the recognition that you deserve, Mike, if you're listening. Uh, Mike nowadays says after the kidnapping, he took to self-medicating. He states that it is only by the grace of God that he is here today. Uh, Larry started hearing a voice that he would later refer to as Mr. Mr. was a dark presence who would often make him make Larry go outside in the middle of the night. Larry said at the beginning, Mr. would play with him and tell him stories, but soon that changed and Mr. was telling him to act out and be violent. Larry said that no type of medication would make Mr. go away. And he only left when Larry found the church. 
And Larry sadly also dealt with substance abuse for 20 years, but he is now 11 years clean and sober and is now a pastor and a counselor as well as a handyman. Way to go, Larry. That's a a six-year-old. Yeah. You know what? Good for him. He was buried underground at six years old. Like that's... That would definitely uh, mess you up Mm -hmm. for sure. So I'm proud Uh, of Larry. And Larry actually met with all three of the kidnappers and apologized to all three for hating them after the kidnapping. Well, why? He's a pastor. Larry said that the more he viewed the kidnappers as human, the less scary they became to him. And it is actually Mike now who looks up to Larry, whereas before it was Larry that looked up to Mike. Uh, That's so cute. I know. I know they're grown men now. It's not cute anymore, (laughs) but I'm still picturing a 14-year-old in like a sassy, what was he, eight, you said? Six. Six, sorry. There was a lot of different ages. She says, I've said, I'm pregnant. I don't remember things you say to me sometimes. Pregnancy has done that to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> Larry viewed Mike as a superhero in 1976, but now as grown adults, Mike views Larry as an anomaly. His forgiveness and ability to meet with all of these men who caused him so much trauma is amazing. Mike now has a daughter of his own, and although he finds it Hard says he does, he does understand the point of forgiveness. James Schoenfeld actually gave a statement to the Nightmare in Chowchilla podcast. He said, to all of the listeners of this podcast, I am one of the three perpetrators from the heinous crime we committed back in 1976 that has come to be called the Chowchilla kidnapping. I could not more deeply regret my actions and know that the two others feel the same. The horrific act we caused to the children, their families, and their community is incalculable. Which I didn't know was a word, and I did look up, and it is a word. (laughs) And it continues until this day. I would give anything in the world to go back in time and tell my young self not to make the greatest mistake of my life. I served real time as a punishment some four decades in prison, and appropriately so. My sincerest hope is that is that knowledge of the lifelong pain and damage my criminal actions caused to the children will serve to deter actions by others in the future. That could carry such grave consequences. In 2012, at the age of 57, Richard Schoenfeld was paroled. I don't buy that whole statement. You know what? I, I, I do. I don't. Honestly, I think these are like rich, entitled people that, you know, they for some reason picked a really like difficult way to try and get money in an easy way. Yeah. Like it was pretty dumb as far as I'm concerned, but like that to me is him trying to get paroled. You like, really, that's, I don't, I don't take that as genuine at all. You know what? I'm. It used, was well, way too well worded that he think like, like his person, to, his PR person. Yeah. Did it for him? That wasn't from the heart. That was like a thought out, you know, when I read it, I like, I, I felt 20, like he was like 24 when it happened. Like, if I had yeah, to live know, at every mistake like, that I made at 24, I, I... Anything that somebody... Like, if somebody does that, and yeah, okay, their intention wasn't to hurt these kids. Right. But you're traumatizing a bunch of little kids, so you're messed up in the head But in somehow. the 70s, like, mental health was nothing. Right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't... You're still little... Like, how could you scare little kids like that and mm-hmm. not, you know, not be a terrible person, you know? Fair. I feel like if you're willing to do something like that, and then go take a nap, you're clearly not, like... No, bothered by it. You know, I just buried these little kids underground and now I'm tired. So I'm going to go take a nap. So clearly like that 
part of their brain isn't there. So I, I don't think that it developed in jail, you know, like they're like, oh, now I'm a good person all of a sudden. Cause that's not usually what happens in jail. Usually sometimes maybe, but do you maybe think he ate a little bit of lead paint when he was a kid though? <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm, the same brand that I ate because I'm staunch I, in my, <laughs> I, I believe lead paint messes people up. And this is the 70s. And 70s were like, they were a wild. Everybody's killing everybody in the 70s. They, they were just, just like, eating straight lead paint. I'm like, telling you, all their dolls were painted with lead paint. And they were just like sucking lead paint off toys constantly. Yeah. So I don't know. I did feel that it was sincere, but. Well, I mean, it's a matter of opinion, right? Here we are. Do you so want- is he, he's, he's out and about now? So that was James, right? So James was, uh. He was paroled in 2012. Three years later, oh, sorry, no. Uh, in 2012, Richard was paroled. Three years later, James was paroled in 2015. Okay. Uh, at the age of 62. Uh, at the time that the Nightmare of Chowchilla podcast wrapped, which is what I got most of my information from, uh, Fred Cook was still in prison as he had not yet been released. Um, but. Fred was getting in a lot of trouble in jail because he was an entrepreneur. And his name was Fred. God, I don't know why you hate that name so much. (laughs) I don't know. It's just not a good name. (laughs) But he was an entrepreneur. He had many businesses from behind bars. He was running uh, a real estate business, a Christmas tree farm. (laughs) How are you managing? Do you have a... Like, who do you trust? I, I, I don't even know how you... He's growing his Christmas trees. And him. how would you know how many you and had? And if he's so good at this stuff, then why did he resort to kidnapping a busload of kids instead of just, you know, using this kind of stuff to make money, you know? Like, what's wrong with this guy? But the guy on the outside that's like, yeah, Fred, no worries. You got 12 Christmas trees out here. We're going to chop them down. Meanwhile, he's got like a whole yard. Like, how does Fred know what's going on out there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he was getting in trouble for all that stuff. So he... At the time of the Chowchilla podcast, he was still behind bars, but he actually was paroled on March 25th of 2022. So now all three of these kidnappers are out and about, um, but they all do seem to be sincerely regretful. I I, I solely base that on that one apology, so if you're yeah, not Yeah, where's the it, other two's apology? Well, the one guy said, he, he says the other two feel the same way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Seems really sincere to me. <laughs> you're so mean. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you just traumatized a busload of kids, and these guys are still facing the consequences these days from your, you know. Yeah, no, for, f- for sure. Um, Poor little Larry. <laughs> he's not He's not little anymore. I know, but he was. <laughs> but they all do seem to be sincerely regretful of kidnapping, so I hope they can go on to become contributing members of society. Ed Ray, the bus driver, died at the age of 91. There is a quote that states... In his last days, Frank Edward Ray was visited by many of the school children he helped save in the Chowchilla school bus kidnapping 35 years before. That's nice. And this is the biggest mass kidnapping in America till this day. And that is the Chowchilla school bus kidnapping. Well, I just hope that uh, future people that want to kidnap a busload of kids learn from, you know, just don't do it. Don't, like try and make it better it seems like so much work harley do you want to come up come on it does it seems like a lot of work i mean yeah like that's what i'm saying is usually when you commit a crime to make money you want to do something that's easy to do right but you dug a big hole and made like you had to drive around for 11 hours like you had kids peeing everywhere like it was 
you know, it's not like it wasn't a very well thought. It seemed like they thought about it, but it wasn't. And like not to mention, well. like, so they were looking to get five million dollars because that was the surplus for California two years before. But it's like they bought a van, they bought a truck bed, they bought like two vans. These guys guns, don't seem very smart to me. Pantyhose. <laughs> <laughs> they went with the cheapest face coverings, that's for sure. They like, just went in their mom's drawer and pulled out some old pantyhose, I guess. Like there's a lot that went into it that, I mean, at, at very least they didn't. Somebody was wearing they a sombrero too? <laughs> like why a sombrero? Were they wearing the pantyhose and a sombrero? That's, you know what, this is all very good questions that I don't have answer. You know, if Mike ever hears this, if we can get you on the show to answer some of these questions, um, that'd be good. <laughs> I think you're cool, so I'd like to meet you. Poor Mike. <laughs> all all right. right. Well, that's the Chowchilla bus kidnapping of 1976. That was good. I like that. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>